Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. As is uh, typical in the class, we'll start out with some of the questions you turned in. You should have uh, one of those little squares, and if you would, like usual, just at the end of class, just turn something in uh, so that people can turn stuff in anonymously. I don't care what you write on there, draw a picture, um, any, anything, just turn something in. Uh, question number one, uh, even though we need to lay down God's law, is asking our child what he thinks okay or wrong. And, and the root of this question is, is last week we talked about how to teach our children uh, to obey and respect rightful authority. Um, I, I think in your house there's a, it's a big difference when you're enforcing God's laws and the laws of your house. Um, all, all of our houses are going to have both. And you always will help your child when they understand the difference in something that's a house rule or a family rule. Uh, which are fine, uh, and something that's one of God's rules. And you, you might not agree with this, but I think especially when, when your children are older, I would always uh, encourage respectful conversation. You know, uh, in the end, you're a parent, uh, but I think it is not healthy to raise your children to not know how to respectfully and in a good tone object to something that's going on now you do what you need to do as a parent but I, I think it's healthy you know for your child uh, when you know they're eight or ten or, or twelve to to be able to say I you know I don't think this is fair because and in the end you know you do what you should do it, it and we'll talk about more of this when we get in, in into discipline because uh, we'll spend three weeks on that eventually but, I mean, it, it ought to already be established what's going to happen when, when your child does something. Uh, but, I, 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 again, I, you know, some people might differ on that, but I, I feel like allowing your children to respectfully respond to, to you, I, I think that's healthy for, for them and you. Question number two, our son is slightly autistic and very rules-based. When things don't go his way, he yells things like, I hate you, you're not my boss. Now, how do I establish parental authority? Now, this is an old question. It wasn't turned in this time, but I wanted to cover it again because it brings up uh, an important principle. Uh, and this isn't the important principle, but uh, the first thing I want to say is you, you ought to be careful of, of what you mean by rules-based parenting, you, you know, because they said this in a tone like that's a bad thing. You know, there is a lot of parenting that is rules-based, and, and, and that's fine. Here's the principle, though, that I want to make sure that you hear and that I emphasize. And it's a question. Do we handle our children the way we want to handle them, or will we seek to handle them the way they need to be handled? Do, do you understand what, I, what I'm saying? See, see, there's a tendency, we want to parent our children like we want to parent our children, when in, in reality, what we should be trying to do is parent our children the way they need to be parented. Uh, there are, now pretty much always, every kid is going to do better in an environment with some kind of structure. 
And by the way, you will always help your children doing that. It's not the thought here, but understand when you're, and hopefully it'll never happen, but when someone gets put in a rehab program of any sort, the first thing they do in their life is put in structure. And people who successfully come out of those programs are people who can put that structure in their own lives themselves when the program's not there to do it. And people who don't do well with those, they're unable to put that structure in their life and they go back into their bad habits. And so one of the things you're doing as a parent is you're teaching your children how to build structure in their own life. And so you always ought to have some. But the point I'm simply making is this, is that uh, especially if your child is on the autism scale, but every child to a degree, they are always going to be helped by structure Parent your children the way they need to be parented. There are some kids, and they really, they will do fine in their relationship with God and other people and building character in a looser environment. Uh, and then there are some kids who, if you have them in a looser environment, they will not build any structure, they will not build any self-discipline, they will not build any self-control. And you, by parenting them the way you want to parent them, in the end, you're hurting your child. And so you need to figure out what your child needs and do that. Question number three, how do I handle an older child who has not been raised in church? Do I make them come? Uh, as you've heard me say so many times, it would be nice in everything to start where we want to start. But none of us get to do that. We always have to start where we are. That's true in your marriage. Uh, you can't pretend if the situation is bad that it hasn't been getting bad for years. you got to start where you are. Uh, it's just like that with your child. And the answer to the question, it depends on your child. depends on how old they are. depends on how resistant they are. Uh, depends on what they've been through. You know, uh, I don't think you should treat a 13-year-old the way you treat a 17-year-old. I think if they're very young, it's an easy transition to make. If they're older, it's a tough transition to make. In my view, anybody that lives under your own roof ought to minimally go to church once a week. Minimally. Uh, in my opinion, uh, you ought to go more than that. But when it comes to making your kids go, if I, if I got saved and got in church and my kid was 17 and I was going Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I would not make my 17-year-old do that. I would make them go once a week. I would do positive things to have them see the value in going. But as far as forcing them to go, and again, you might disagree with this. Somebody asked me the question, so that, that's my answer. Uh, I think it just it, it just depends, and and as always, you know, seek wise counsel with your your situation, and uh, and hear what a couple of uh, people have to say, and 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 pray through it and make a good decision. Question number four: What do I do when I am a single parent, ninety-five percent of the time, and I get exhausted winning the battle of wills? Uh, that came from uh, last week. Uh, one of the things that I said is that when you are in a battle of wills with your child, always win that battle. I don't care what the issue is, if you are in a battle of wills, I mean, I'm talking from this big, win that battle, it ought to be so deeply implanted in your child's heart that if it is my will against my parents' will, I will never win that battle. 
all right? They ought to be like in their 20s before they figure out uh, that it's any different from that. Um, there's a lot of people in this situation. Uh, some people are in this situation because of the negligence of a parent. Uh, some people are in this situation because one or the other of the parents has a really demanding job and they're just not around that much because of their job. Uh, and, and so really the answer is a, it's a pretty simple one. Uh, Paul said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Sufficient grace is just that. Uh, it's just enough to get by. All right. You may or may not agree with this, but I actually believe, for the most part, everybody has it equal. And if you're going through a more difficult situation, you have more grace available to you to face that situation. And someone else who's not going through such a difficult time, they just have less grace. So the bottom line is, is that all, every one of us, you, me, we're all just barely making it. All right, now we, we think we're the only ones, but it's actually everybody. But listen, if you're in that situation, uh, you can make it by the grace of God. Uh, if that's a lady writing that question, uh, or it could be a man, probably this would tend to be a lady, make sure you look at yourself because I know of some ladies who have handled uh, the way their husband handles uh, their child in such a way it makes the husband say, I don't even want to be involved. I mean, everything I do gets crushed. Everything I say uh, gets put down. And man, I'm, I'm just done. Why bother? And so if that's a lady doing that, make sure that's not you. Uh, but you can do it. Uh, if, if you are, for all practical purposes, a single parent, uh, God will give you grace to do it and, and raise your child well. Um, some interesting but uh, not always serious quotes. Here's the first one. The best inheritance that a parent can leave their children is some of their time every day. If you haven't gotten far enough in life to, to recognize that the most valuable thing you have is your time, uh, you're never going to treat your time with enough respect. Uh, here's a second uh, interesting but not always serious quote. Uh, secondly, most children threaten to run away from home at times. Uh, this is the only thing that keeps some parents going. I hope that's not you. A uh, couple of just practical thoughts uh, for uh, parenting, thoughts upon Here's the first one. Be very careful where, when, and how you intervene in your children's relationships with other children. I, I wish you would let that sink into your heart. Be careful when you intervene in your child's relationship with other children. Um, number two, uh, make sure that your example is consistent with your message. Here's a third thought. Uh, your children have just as much of a free will as you do and did as a teenager. Uh, we love our free will. We don't like our children's free will. All right. They have it too. And so you, you might as well just face it, all right? You're not there to take free will away from your children. Our God didn't do that. You are there to help shape them to use their free will in a way that's constructive and healthy for them as an individual and good for them in their relationship with their creator. Uh, today we're just on week four, uh, 14 or 15 weeks together. Today we'll start a new subject. Uh, as I tell you every week, I don't have all the answers. Uh, I've seen a lot. 
Uh, I've been through a lot. I'm a people watcher. Uh, I'm a recipe watcher. Uh, I believe when it comes to people uh, and, and life, pretty much everything is a recipe. And uh, it's just like making brownies. You say, I want brownies, but you say, I'm not going to use chocolate. You're not going to get brownies. Uh, life is like that. You say, I want this kind of a marriage. I want this kind of a future. I want this for my children. Listen, there's a recipe, and you're not going to get what you dream. You're going to get what you put into the recipe. And so I'm just here to try to help you uh, put some things in the recipe that will help your children uh, for their future. Uh, remember, the most basic parenting question is this. Does God know more about what will make my, my child's life better than I do? Does God know more about what will make my child's life better than I do? And the answer to that, obviously, is yes. And last week, we finished answering the question of what's the most important thing to teach our child. And that, of course, is respect and obedience to rightful authority. If you fail to teach your child that, they will not succeed in a relationship with God. They will not succeed in the Lord's church. They will not succeed in the school. They will not succeed in the workplace. They will not succeed in society. That is a foundational issue. Today, I want to begin talking about the second most important thing we teach our children. And that's this. How can they have healthy relationships? By the way, having healthy relationships is not the same as being popular. Uh, a lot of people worship at the God of popularity and their secret desire for their child is that they would be popular. Listen, by the way, by and large, what is popular in the world is unappealing and anti-God. There's a lot of people in here <laughs> this morning who, if you were being honest, you would say, do you know what, I'm here as an adult and I'm not good at having healthy relationships. People here who tried to join your life as a husband and wife and you thought to yourself when you got into this, you know what, I'm not good at having a healthy relationship. Uh, you have difficulty having healthy relationships in the workplace. You have difficulty having healthy relationships in the Lord's church. You have difficulty having healthy relationships in every area of our life. And listen, all of us struggle to one degree or another, but if we can help our children in this, this is a key thing to help their future. Listen to me. No amount of success in life or counterbalance a life filled with broken relationships. I don't care how much money they make. I don't care how much stuff they have. I don't care what kind of a title they have in the workplace. None of that will matter if all their key relationships in life are broken. And so when we think about the most important things to teach our children following their need to have respect and obedience for rightful authority, following that is their need to learn how to have healthy relationships. Matt, you should be in your Bible in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, notice what it says in verse 35. And one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him, asked Jesus a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment of the law in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. 
and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now most of you know that the Jews had broken up the law of Moses into 613 separate commandments. By the way, that's legit. You can sit down and, and break down Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and you'll find 613 separate commandments. You can pull them up on Google. There's lists of them all over the place. Uh, God summarized those 613 commandments in 10 commandments. Uh, the first four of those Ten Commandments have to do with a person's relationship with God, and the second six of those Ten Commandments have to do with a person's relationship with other people. Jesus here takes 613 summarized into ten, and he now summarizes it into two commandments and says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you were going to summarize everything in the Old Testament, it is some way linked to these two great commandments. The first of those we read in verse 37 and 38, the greatest of all commandments, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Um, that is a summary of the first four uh, commandments. And by the way, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you are not going to have other gods before him. You are not going to uh, build or bow down to any kind of an image. You are not going to take his name in vain. And you're going to give him a day of the week. That's why that's a summary of those commandments. And notice the second of summary of those commandments in verse 39. Jesus says the second most important commandment, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The first commandment he quotes Deuteronomy 6.5. The second commandment he quotes is in Leviticus chapter 19. And he says the second most important commandment is to have uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. Healthy relationships with people flow from a healthy relationship with God. Don't misunderstand that. There are people with no relationship with God whatsoever who are able to have some healthy relationships. And the reason for that is, is that when God established principles for relationships, just like principles for life, they work whether God is involved or not. If you're like me, and I think you are, you know some people, they're not saved, they have no relationship with Jesus Christ, and yet they have a good relationship with their spouse, they have a good relationship with their kids, they have a good relationship with some people, and that's because if you look at what they do, they follow principles that God established for having good relationships. It works with or without God. And by the way, if you've been a Christian for very long and pay much attention to what goes on around you, one of the other things you'll notice is that some people with a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, they'll go to heaven when they die, and their relationships with other people are terrible. Because even though they have a relationship with Jesus, they do not put the things God said you need to put in a healthy relationship with people. And so therefore, they're genuinely saved. But all their relationships in life are a mess and they're broken. None of us here want that for our children. The first desire of any saved person is the salvation of their children, a relationship with God. And I would say that any sensible parent 
The second thing you desire most for your children is a healthy relationship with other people. No parent sits there and says, you know what, I want to prepare my child to have a bad marriage. I want to prepare my child to have no good relationships in the workplace or in the church or with anyone else. Nobody does that on purpose, but people do it. Now, many people struggle in their relationships with both God and other people on a regular basis. Have you ever thought about why there are so many pets in our culture? Listen, relation, and I'll tell you why. People desire relationships, but the relationship with pets are very easy. Listen, you can treat your pet in all kinds of ways that you would never consider treating a person, and your pet will still lick your face and all that stuff. You try locking your spouse up in a cage for 12 hours and then come home and, and then expect them to be happy to see you. Listen, relationship with pets are easy. Relationships with people, they're tough. And by the way, for most of us, it's learned behavior. Everyone can have a healthy relationship with God, but not everyone chooses to do that. Everyone can have a healthy relationship with other people, but it's also not easy any more than having a healthy relationship with God, but it is available to everyone. See, successfully training our children to have a healthy relationships in life with people begins with helping them have a healthy relationship with God. Now, probably everybody here, uh, to one degree or another, agrees with everything I just said. But here's the kicker. How can I teach my children to do this? Uh, next week we'll cover how can I teach my children to, to love people. Uh, today, uh, because of a healthy relationship with God is a foundation of all healthy relationships, uh, how can I teach my children to love God? They're supposed to love God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind and all their strength. It's a way you think, it's a mind, it's how you believe, it's your strength, it's your behavior, it's your soul, it's your personhood, your conscience, your personality, it's your heart, it's your affection. How can I teach my children to love God like that? And by the way, if you begin to think about this, it's obviously a lot harder to do this than it is to teach our children to have respect and obedience to rightful authority. Listen, respect and obedience are much more difficult to teach than this. You and I, in fact, we can't force them to love God. We can force them to obey us, at least to a degree, for a certain period of time. But we can't force them to love us. We can force them for a period of time to obey God, but we can't force them to love God. All we can do is put them in circumstances where choosing to love God is an easier choice to make. Now, by the way, uh, most of parenting is like that. You can't force your children ultimately to do a lot. 
And if you think you can force them to do everything, it's only because your children are under five. You know, once they get older than that, you're going to come to recognize, especially when they get in their teen years, you know what? Ultimately, what can I force them to do? <laughs> Listen, they can leave. And that's not what anybody wants for their 14-year-old. And so we better learn what it takes to motivate them to want to do what they're supposed to do. How can I make it easier for my child to decide to love God? Here's number one. Teach your children that God exists by your behavior, choices, and conversation. By the way, no one can ever love God who does not believe he exists. You may disagree with this, but I believe by and large there are not very many people who actually love God. There are quite a lot of people who believe in God. There are not a lot of people who love God. Um, Because to love God, Jesus said three times, uh, keep my commandments. Keep is not just obey, that is to respect and guard in in a special way. Your children will never love God unless they believe he exists. The existence of God is clearly seen in the complexity and beauty of creation. In fact, that's why God twice remarks, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. See, to say there's no God, that's like walking somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and there is a a beautiful uh, 500-page book with color pictures and print all over the place, and you pick up that book and say, ah, that happened by accident. Listen, that book is nowhere near as complex as the conception and birthing cycle. And yet some people believe it happened by accident. Uh, That book is nowhere near as complex as your nervous system or as your DNA. Uh, DNA is basically chemical information. That's all a book is. It's information. Information does not come out of nothing. We must... Act in our own life like God exists. By the way, a child naturally believes that God exists. And they will believe that God exists until some humanist teaches them otherwise. No matter where man has been found on this planet, over the course of centuries, man has always made himself a god. Now, apart from the Bible, it might be the sun, it might be the moon, it might be the earth... Uh, it, it, it might be himself, it might be a gator, uh, it might be a lion, uh, but man always makes himself a god. The reason for that is, is that inside of man is this natural belief that he's created and that there's more than this life until someone educates that out of him. It's kind of interesting to me that it's considered to be brainwashing to teach your child that God exists in the Bible's word of God when it's not brainwashing to teach them uh, by repetitive uh, exercises the alphabet, the mathematical tables, the phonics chart, and the spelling words. I mean, all of that is acceptable repetitive teaching, but to repetitively teach them that God exists and that the Bible is God's word, that's somehow saying, well, that's brainwashing them. That's stupid. Shut up. Uh, 
do not delegate their view of God's existence to their public school teachers where teachers who believe in Jesus are bridled by a godless culture. You as a parent need to make sure this happens. So Brother Walla, how can I teach them that God exists? Most importantly, simply by the consistently acting, consistently acting in your life that it's true. Treat things God clearly left like they have value. So what did God clearly leave? How about the institution of marriage? How about the Bible? How about the church? I mean, those things bear witness of God's existence. Uh, just like it's natural behavior, do, do things like pray before your meals. I mean, all you're doing when you're doing that, in essence, is you're teaching your children as they just watch you go through life. My mom and my dad believe God exists. They, they act like it all the time. Treat the Lord's Day with some special respect instead of a family day or your day. Without fanfare, talk about God, what God means to you, how you were saved, uh, how his word impacts your decision. Listen, if you have a small God then that God only shows up on Sunday morning. <laughs> if you have a God that's the God of the Bible, then that just shows up Monday through Saturday as well. Don't be like most people who treat God like a spare tire, who break him out when something's bad and put him back in the trunk when all is well. You're, in effect, teaching your children God does not exist. Before anyone ever chooses to believe God or love him, they must first acknowledge his existence. Here's the second thing. How do I teach my children to love God? Number two, make God a priority in your life whenever you have a choice. By the way, if you say you love something and it has no priority in your life, you don't really love it. That's true for things. That's true for people. Listen, if your spouse has no priority in your life, you don't love them as much as you say you love them. I realize that none of us can be there as much as we wish we could or do all the things we wish we could. But listen, if your spouse has little or no priority in your life, I mean, basically what you are saying is I don't love them like I say I love them. God as a priority is more than acting like he exists. Say, <laughs> so what do you mean? Stop acting like it's a terrible drag and an inconvenience to do what you do for the Lord. Have you ever wondered why so many people in ministry have their kids go away? Have you ever wondered why so many people who are around the church a lot have their kids go away? It's none of their hopes. It's none of their dreams. You, you, can I tell you why? They watch you all the time and how you really act towards those things. Now listen, there, there's probably people in this room, and, and, and what your children hear you say and how you act about going to church or doing your ministry is such that you are in effect teaching them, yeah, God exists, but he's not a priority to me. Your child will never love God unless they believe he exists and that he's a priority. Listen, by the way, there's people who have God as a priority, but they still don't love God. 
How can I teach them God's a priority? Take time when they're younger at the end of every day. Tell them Bible stories. Uh, pray with them. Ha- have them see how important God is when you're making your decisions. Uh, when we would go on vacation, we always started with a family prayer. We could just go around, everybody would pray. And so well, everybody's just going to pray for safety and a good time on the trip. That's okay when you're six. By the way, uh, when you're 16, that's better than no prayer. Uh, in our house, uh, on Christmas morning, uh, before we opened, uh, or in our house, it was almost never Christmas morning, but uh, whenever we celebrated Christmas, we always took time to read the Christmas story. So it's just a real simple thing. You're showing, you're just by example teaching your kids, hey, you know what, God's a priority to me. Uh, when our kids were older, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, before school, we would get them up uh, 15 minutes early and sit down at the, the kitchen table and um, go around three times and, and, and read. And then I'd have a 90-second thought from whatever we read. And by the way, most of the time, it was no great late-breaking news. They see the real priority Jesus has in our life. How can I teach them to love God? Go back in your Bible to Exodus chapter 10. Nobody here wants to set your children up to have bad relationships. And healthy relationships with people, they flow out of a healthy relationship with God. And if a person doesn't have a healthy relationship with God, they flow out of putting in a relationship the things that God says, hey, these work in, your, in a relationship. Have you ever thought about how, how bad it is for relationships when people learn uh, uh, evolution and be, believe evolution? The message of evolution is survival of the fittest. Try that to have a healthy marriage. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do everything that's right for me. Try that to have a healthy relationship. Those things don't work in relationship. The things of God work in relationship. People don't need God to, to, to care about someone, to be kind, to be forgiving, to be interested, to talk, to spend time. Those are all biblical values. I want my children to love God. We must teach them that he exists by the way we behave. We must teach them to prioritize him. Here's number three. Uh, Defend who God is and what God does and what goes on around us. This is kind of interesting to me. In Exodus chapter 10, in verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might uh, show these my signs before him. And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's sons what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know that I am the Lord. By the way, I've got that verse 2. I've got that all circled. And I've got this little note in my Bible. just says, not just love. God here says, I want you to teach your children what I did in Egypt. By the way, in Egypt, God killed all kinds of animals, insects, plants. The firstborn who didn't have blood on the door. And then the Egyptian army chasing them through the Red Sea. 
God said, I want you to teach your children that. Because God is God. He is who he is. See, present all of God's attributes instead of the ones you like. Just like, hey, listen, you read the Bible, that's God presenting who he is to us. You may not like it, but God is holy. We may not like it, but God is love. We may not like it, but God is righteous, and God is a God of justice and judgment. We may not like it, but God is gracious and patient and long-suffering. And depending on where we are in life and what's going on, we like or dislike who God is. And I'm just saying, if you want your children to love God, you must present God as he is and take up his side when, uh, when things go down. Which means sometimes you're going to have to say to your children, wow, you know what, this really hurts. I do not understand it at all. But I know somehow, some way, God's in control and God is still good. That is very different from you saying, eh, God, look at the way he's handling this world. I can't believe he let 200,000 Americans die in, 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 from coronavirus. I can't believe God lets war go on. I can't believe God lets abuse go on. Listen, God had nothing to do with a lot of that stuff. He allowed it, but that's man and devil. And you will never help your children loving God if you don't present God as he is. By the way, listen to me. If you present God as he is to you instead of as he is, as he presented himself, you will teach your children, if they choose to love God, they will love an idol. God is who he is. You don't need to whitewash who he is. Can I testify? I grew up in a home where my mother decided, my mom was a believer, uh, she believed the Bible, but uh, she decided that the Old Testament God was too harsh, which of course is false. The Old Testament God and New Testament God are the same. And so she just basically told us as kids, God loves you, uh, that, that's what she told us. And can I tell you what that does to a person? It causes someone to go into their teen years and young adult years with no fear of God. On the other end of the spectrum, I know parents who presented God to their kids as a harsh God of judgment and justice because they were afraid their kids would do bad things if they didn't make God tough enough. And what happens is you have a kid who's warped and thinks God is this harsh, cruel being who's up there with a hammer to pound them for every little mistake they make. Listen, that's an idol God too. I-D-O-L. Present God as he is. If you want them to love God, they've got to know who God is. Otherwise, they'll be loving something that isn't even true. Accept and speak positively about God's view of yourself, your children, and, and mankind. The goal of successful parenting is not a good kid, though we want good kids. The goal of successful parenting is a functional, independent adult with faith in Jesus. There's one more thing we need to do in order to teach them to love God, but we'll cover that next week, and then we'll begin talking about how to teach them to get along with other people to ultimately 
love their neighbor as themselves. You should have one of those little squares and uh, write something on it and then just fold it up and put it up here. Uh, God bless you. You're dismissed.